0: May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein and this is Law Brief. I am joined today by a special guest because I've got a guy who's got his own podcast,
1: Josh Ritter. How you doing, Josh? Very good. Very excited to be on. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're welcome. This is the completion of a pod swap. I was on Josh's podcast uh, a week or two ago, and he has graciously agreed to join this one. So we either call it a pod swap or a home and home series, like (laughs) you might have in sports. And I thought what we would talk about today, because Josh and I both spend a lot of time covering trials that happen around the country, and there's an issue that comes up, which is cameras in the court. You may notice there are plenty of notable trials that have cameras inside. We get feeds of what is happening. You can see the testimony. You can see the arguments. And then there are other trials, equally notable, that you never see a darn thing because there was no camera inside the courtroom and we never got a glimpse. So we're going to sort of talk about that topic. So let me start with a fundamental question, Josh. Why is it different? when we sometimes can see inside a court and sometimes can't.
1: Well, I know here in Los Angeles, in California at least, that it really depends a lot on the judge. In cases of high notoriety, obviously you're gonna get media requests. The media may even make arguments in front of the judge for why they feel it's important to have cameras inside the courtroom. But the judges have kind of last say on that, and they're balancing a number of things. I mean, they want to make sure that there's transparency, but at the same time, they're trying to protect the integrity of their trial, and especially cases like, for instance, right now, we have both the Danny Masterson and the Harvey Weinstein trials taking place here in Los Angeles in the same courthouse, just down the hall from each other, and neither one of them have cameras in the courtroom, and I think that's because of the nature of the case dealing with sexual assault and victims are going to be testifying that the judges kind of wanted to protect that integrity.
0: Right. And what I've noticed is the rules are different in different states. So in the federal courts, there really are no cameras in trial proceedings. Uh, You can get cameras in sometimes in special circumstances, but you don't really see federal trials broadcast. In New York state, you don't really see cameras in the courtroom for trials Elsewhere, between me in New York and Josh in California, some states allow cameras, some states don't allow cameras. And I guess you're telling me, Josh, in California, it sort of comes down to the court and the judge.
1: Yeah. And at least here in Los Angeles, the DA's office has taken the position of kind of no position. So if the if there's a media request, they kind of say, we'll allow the court to decide what they want to do. And if the defense doesn't have a strong objection or even if the defense does have a strong objection, sometimes the judges will allow it. But it really comes down to what the judge feels is appropriate per case.
0: And another thing that's interesting is even the rules about cameras in the court can vary from state to state. And we've seen this recently in a trial we're watching in Ohio, a big murder trial in Southern Ohio, where cameras have been allowed into the courtroom, but there is a rule there that witnesses, individual witnesses can opt out of being televised. So that case is interesting because there are two witnesses who pled guilty and as part of their guilty plea agreed to testify in this trial, but they have declined to be photographed while testifying. So they're not able to broadcast their testimony at all. And some of the law enforcement professionals also declined to be filmed while testifying and only portions of that trial have been broadcast. So that's a little weird too, right, Josh?
1: Yeah. And it's unfortunate from at least a spectator's point of view, from a court watcher's point of view, that we're having this kind of patchwork trial presentation where we get some witnesses, but not others. You could understand why maybe some of the civilians don't want their face out there, don't want to get this kind of exposure on a high media attention trial. But I was really surprised with law enforcement. You would expect a certain level of transparency from them especially because I don't think it's in great controversy, their involvement in this case. It was kind of pretty straightforward police work. So it was unfortunate that they made that decision not to be photographed or recorded. I
0: agree with that. And that kind of segues into the next topic, which is the arguments for cameras in the courtroom. Having law enforcement be filmed and shown testifying about their investigation, to me, should instill confidence in law enforcement and public support for the prosecution. So it's a credibility issue. What are some of the other arguments in favor of televising these trials?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that makes the American system of justice stand out from the rest of the world is our transparency, right? Every single courtroom is a public space. Any courtroom in America you're allowed to walk into unless for some very particularized reason they've shut down that courtroom. But Our justice system is out on display for the public to see how how the sausage is made, as it were, and they don't have that in other countries. And so I think that's kind of a hallmark of why our system is so great and distinguishes itself. But then you see instances where we don't have that kind of transparency, and it is kind of unfortunate. And I understand sometimes why the decision is made. But for instance, as you pointed out with the federal system, they just have a blanket rule of no cameras which I think they need to reconsider. I think the chief justice needs to take another look at that, especially in this kind of social media savvy world that we now live in.
0: Well, we're going to get to social media. I think it's just a matter of access to the courts. As you say, the courts are supposed to be open to the public. Not everybody can get inside a courtroom. I don't understand why the presumptive rule doesn't support a recorded record of a trial for access to the courts, for public confidence in the judicial system, and for accountability for all of those reasons. But, you know, we are trained devil's advocates. So we can also talk about the arguments against allowing cameras in the court. What are the best ones as far as you're concerned?
1: Well, I've had experience with this, and I'm sure you've had experience with this, that in these cases that have a lot of media attention and you do have cameras in the courtroom, it really does change the dynamic of things. And that's unfortunate because jurors, it seems, can't help themselves to behave somehow differently when cameras are in the courtroom. And we've seen that many times in the past. I've, like I said, experienced that personally myself with a a case that, I thought had no media attention. And then all of a sudden, it was being broadcast on a daily basis, gavel to gavel.
0: Let me hear a little bit more about that. You promised me a war
1: story. (laughs) This was a funny case when I was a deputy district attorney here in Los Angeles. It was a case that had been rubber stamped media attention. But sometimes all that means is that the newspapers following it and wants updates. But on the day of opening statements, cameras walked right in and set up and they video recorded every single day. And it was a case involving a firefighter who had got into an altercation with a woman who was feeding stray cats in his neighborhood, and it turned incredibly violent. He ended up knocking her out. The way we were able to put it together was some incredible surveillance footage. But because of the intention of that case, I really feel it changed the dynamic of it. And it ended up hanging. I ended up having to retry it. And when I retried it, there were no cameras in the courtroom. It went a lot faster, and I was able to secure a conviction fairly straightforwardly. And I just think that jurors know they know they're being watched. Uh, For instance, here in Los Angeles, like I said, with this Harvey Weinstein case, there are no cameras in the courtroom, but they see the crowds outside. They see an absolutely packed courtroom. They're hearing about the media attention, even if they try to avoid it outside of the courtroom. They have to understand how this case is being watched. And that might affect them and how they behave and how they think about the case rather than just some everyday run of the mill felony that they would be hearing downtown any other day of the week.
0: I think that's actually the best argument against cameras is the impact they have on a jury, both as you suggest, because they see the cameras and it makes them look at the case differently. It also... I think, makes them more likely to do what they're not supposed to do and turn on the television or social media to see what's being reported on a case. They're admonished by the court not to do that. But when you've got cameras in there every day, you're going to be a little bit tempted,
1: don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And and sometimes it can't be avoided. I mean, there was a case recently where the jurors received push notifications on their cell phones about a decision that had been made by the judge in their very own trial. And so they weren't actively seeking it. But it's sometimes we live in this world where news is being pushed at you, even if you're trying to avoid it. And it, it can't help but kind of change that dynamic, as I've said.
0: Right. So there are potential problems with jurors. There's the simple fact that having something else going on in the courtroom besides the trial, besides the testimony and the lawyering, could be distracting for the court and the participants in the trial. So I buy that as a potential argument and think if you do have cameras, they have to be carefully regulated. We can't have a three-camera sitcom shoot in a trial. (laughs) Right. Right. And then there's an issue in terms of access to the courts, which is when you have cameras in the way we broadcast things today, you get these quick snippets of what happened at trial. You might get 30 seconds of somebody's testimony, or the moment a lawyer made a flub, or the moment a judge lost his or her temper. And it will paint a public portrait of the trial that might not adequately capture the whole thing.
1: Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. It is an unfortunate kind of side effect to having these things broadcast that there's going to be a certain narrative spin by the media. The other thing too, is even these jurors trying to avoid the media, they might not be able to avoid day-to-day conversations. I experienced this with the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. It was such a kind of cultural spectacle that you would hear people talking about it in restaurants. And I imagine the jurors experienced that same sort of thing, that people just in passing were talking about this trial. And I can't imagine that didn't have some sort of effect on the way they thought about it.
0: Yeah. And the Depp Heard case is interesting in this context, too, because in that case, having cameras in the court was very much part of the strategy of Johnny Depp and his success in front of those cameras, in my view, allowed him to win the case far before the jury ruled on anything.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we all can agree that this was far less about money for Johnny Depp and far more about his kind of public image. And I agree with you. He was winning on the public image spectrum far before there was ever a verdict in that case, simply because he was put in front of a camera and did so well in his testimony.
0: So we have this strange scenario now where the private life of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard was put on public display for the whole world to see, but the charges against Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey are not broadcast because those trials are in telecast. There was a big recent trial in Parkland, Florida, to sentence the shooter of the school in Parkland years ago. And that trial was broadcast, although an issue came up there, which comes up sometimes, that you can't show on television everything that you show a jury.
1: Yeah. I mean, in that case in particular, you had some incredibly graphic images. And I think we heard some of the audio. But as far as the images, I know that a lot of that couldn't be shown publicly, which is also interesting, because if you were sitting in the courtroom, you could have seen much of that. So there was some sort of decision made about what is actually public as far as the courtroom and public as far as being broadcast. But yeah, we certainly understood all the inner workings of that case. But in a case like Weinstein, a case that I think you and I would both agree, if it were being broadcast, it would probably be the biggest case in the country right now. But because it's not, we're just kind of getting these reports that trickle out from local press and other entertainment outlets. And it doesn't seem to be that kind of fire hose of information that we usually would have expected otherwise.
0: Yeah, a lot of these cases end up with somebody from the media, either local media or one of the trial networks inside the courtroom trying to either tweet out or report out a play-by-play of what's happening.
1: Right. And, and we've seen a lot of that. There's kind of these live blogs going on where people are kind of giving their day to day impressions of what are taking place. But sometimes they're not professional reporters. And these are kind of people who are into the spectacle of the whole thing. And I wonder how much actual good information we're getting on the actual legal process of what's taking place in court that we would have if we had cameras. Do you think there's
0: a trend here? I mean, we have At least two networks that are doing all day long trial coverage now. There's a lot of this on YouTube. There's a lot of this on social media. Do you think those factors indicate a trend where we're going to see more and more cameras inside the courtroom?
1: I think so. I think we live in a society where we've come to expect it. I think we live in a time where when we don't have cameras showing us something, we're caught off guard. And so I think as the popularity of core TV and long crime and perhaps other networks. And you saw it. There's obviously an interest from the public with the case of Depp v. Heard was a civil case. (laughs) It was not a criminal case. And it just had an incredible amount of attention. And I think that as we continue to advance in a society that has an interest in seeing inside and getting an inside view, I think we'll see that more and more.
0: Yeah, it was amazing to me. You had millions of viewers watching live the verdict in a defamation lawsuit. Exactly. (laughs) I never would have believed it.
1: (laughs) Exactly. All
0: right, Josh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, your practice, your broadcasting, whatever you want to do.
1: Sure. No, I appreciate that. Well, as we alluded to, I was at the DA's office here in Los Angeles for close to a decade. um, And then I left there in 2015 and went private. I spent about seven years at a very prestigious criminal defense firm here in Los Angeles. But just recently, I left and I joined a different firm. It's called El Dabi Ritter. We do criminal defense, and a large part of that is also personal injury, civil plaintiff's work. But then I also, you know, try to dabble in as much of the podcasting and commentary as I can. And so I have the True Crime Daily Sidebar podcast that if you Google it or go anywhere you get your podcast, you can check it out. And also I have a website, JoshuaRitter.com, where I try to keep updated on just news and appearances. And if you're looking for a lawyer, go check it out. (laughs)
0: As I said, I've recently been on Josh's podcast, and I'm also a regular listener, and it is definitely worth your while. Oh, thank you. So on this podcast, we like to finish with closing arguments. So I have something in mind, but I'll give you first shot. What do you have as a takeaway for the listeners on the topic of cameras in the courtroom?
1: You know, the judicial system is usually trailing behind all of culture as far as advancement and technology and everything else. And I think we're just going to continue to see it to catch up. And I wouldn't expect us to see more transparency. And I encourage that. I know that there are going to be things that we're going to have to deal with roadblocks and, and speed bumps along the way as to how to handle all of that exposure. But I think more transparency is what distinguishes us. And I encourage it.
0: I encourage it, too. I wholeheartedly endorse that message. But I would add a caution to the viewers of these trials that make it on television. When you are watching, it is not the same experience as being in the courtroom. You are not sitting five feet away from the witnesses. You are not seeing all of the evidence. You are getting a sanitized version of the proceedings. And you are not seeing the entire trial almost ever. I mean, you can tell me you watched the whole Deb Heard trial, but you didn't really watch the whole thing. So you don't have the same experience as the juror who is charged with the task of deciding those trials, sits in there and gets all the evidence and sits close to the witnesses. Don't think watching it on television necessarily puts you in a position to second guess the jurors that we task with deciding those cases. That's my sermon for the day. What do you think? Excellent
1: points. I wholeheartedly agree. All
0: right. That concludes our home and home pod swap. Josh Ritter, (laughs) thank you very much. Good to see you. Thank you so much
1: for having me. This was a blast. I really enjoyed it.
0: All right. Take care. And everybody, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should engage a lawyer of your own choosing. Tartar Krinsky & Drogen is a mid mid-size full-service law firm located in New York with offices in New Jersey and Los Angeles. You can see more about us at tartarkrinsky.com. You can contact us at the email address podcast at tartakrinsky.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at at Podcast, And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at lawfulriches. I know it's a little bit silly, but at least you don't have to spell Schoenstein. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and we are adjourned.